What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners podcast. It's episode 213 today. Not 212. We passed 212. We're on to 213. It's Wednesday, October 11th. That's Ryan Chapman. He's in the uh, studios at the franchise in Oklahoma City. I'm John Hoover. I'm at the studios at kind of the franchise in uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Not the franchise radio station, just this is where the franchise happens for me. Randall Sweet is going to join us for segment three. We're going to talk some recruiting re- with Randall. He's also going to tell you about the, uh, the the glory that is Fletcher's Corn Dogs. <laughs> Ryan, I hope you had a good time in Dallas. I know it was a lot of hard work and a long, long day. But uh, what what was your uh, what was your assessment? It was a long day. It was uh, uh, hairball, hairball. It was a good day. Um, I hope that it wasn't noted by anyone. I was definitely playing a little bit hurt on uh, Saturday due to the fact that I uh, was linking up with some old friends on Friday and we did not make it back to the hotel at the uh, allotted time that we were supposed to make it back. So we uh, it, it was a 12-hour work day on not 12 hours of sleep, but it, it was okay. And it makes it so easy when you're in that tiny tiny bolted down chair wi-fi not working laden press box and you are just given an instant classic to cover i I don't think that anyone could have walked in and not slept for three or four days and i don't know if you're an oklahoma fan you're a texas fan you're just a college football neutral you're media hacks like us just sitting there quietly pondering what's happening trying to write some stories uh, when you're given source material like that, it makes it a lot easier for all of us to do our jobs as uh, Oklahoma puts the hammer down and uh, still feel the same way we felt probably Saturday coming out of that thing. Hell of a game, even more impressive win for the Sooners. You know, you're, you hit on something there that, that we need to touch on. Uh, let's never go back to the Cotton Bowl again. Let's stage this thing somewhere else. Or... How about this for an idea? Let's upgrade the Cotton Bowl infrastructure to the point where uh, the seats are not back-breaking seats. Uh, The Wi-Fi actually works. Guys, the Wi-Fi didn't work. If this game had been 49-0 or 63-14 and nobody was watching and nobody cares, right, then it wouldn't have mattered. It's one of the best games in history of college football. I probably overstated a little bit, but it really was. It was one of the best games I've ever seen. And uh, our Wi-Fi didn't work. We had to uh, we had to work around it, and uh, it took us a quarter. A full, it took us a full quarter to figure out how to work around it. God, that place is a dump. But it's our dump, John. It's our dump. And then no, <laughs> and we're the only ones. If you either cover Oklahoma, cover Texas, or you show up and wear burnt orange or crimson, those are the only people <laughs> that get to knock the infrastructure of the Cotton Bowl because it is old. But it, it's it's like um, it's our grandpa that may not mentally be there that we're all going to talk to at Thanksgiving that everyone's just super happy to see. And he's going to say some off color stuff, some stuff that you can't put on Twitter or grandpa yeah. no longer going to be employed. Uh, stuff like that. That's what the Cotton Bowl is to, to Oklahoma and Texas. And uh, I wouldn't change it for the world except for like, yes, some some cell reception for the fans because the whole state bears just a black hole. Uh, I think that fans would appreciate that and that we would appreciate some Wi-Fi. 
unbelievable game, 34-30. It really was one of the best games. I told you uh, during the week that I, I posted, you know, uh, my 20th game, right, the 20th consecutive game I ever covered. The first 19, I wrote a column saying, here are the, the 19 ranked in order games, Red River games that I've covered. Number one, or actually we started at number 20, went all the way down to number one. 19, I should say, number 19. The, and, you know, you, you get to 2020, you get to, to 2018, you get to 2021, and you think, we'll never top these. These are the best best games. Even that 2008 game wasn't quite this good. As many future NFL stars as... No. 2023, guys, was right up there with any of them. And it was just insane. Um, you're talking about a... a, a an overtime game, a four overtime game. You're talking about a crazy comeback game. This one was just as good, just as competitive, just as well played from start to finish as any of them. What a, what an unbelievable game, Ryan. Yeah, and and you go back through it, and we we watch it live in person, immediately podcast, and then Hoove and I probably watch the game for big games two to three more times throughout the week because there's so much stuff going on that you missed all that stuff. And when I flipped the game on Sunday, the, the ABC copy, I still was sitting there in disbelief at like all of this happened and we are six minutes into the football game. You got two yeah. picks, a turnover review, a fake punt, a block punt, everything going down, the ebbs and the flows. You had uh, lead changes left, right, and center. You had Texas do what Texas has done all year, which is really assert themselves in the fourth quarter, only for Dylan Gabriel to say, no, it is my time. Today is my day. All of that. And uh, it, it was just an incredible contest. And it's exactly why, John, we saw on Tuesday night, the Oklahoma social media team drop their recap of the game, a seven and a half minute tour de force. And yeah. like that thing, John, I, I was checking it. So at 11 a.m., under 24 hours after it was out, Twitter had that logged at 6 million views. Uh, Notre Dame made a lot of waves for their cinematic recap, whatever you call it, of the Notre Dame Duke game that happened a couple weekends ago. That was sitting at 5.8 million views today after it's had a week or so over a week, obviously, for for some people to, to look at that and all that. Uh, which I think just kind of shows you how big this game was for Oklahoma, how much Oklahoma fans are, are locked in but also the high drama of the game itself we had what i think is going to go on the pantheon of oklahoma football pregame speeches from danny stutzman yeah, which overshadowed what i thought was a pretty good brent venable speech before that it, it was nuts if we had known that baker was going to do what he did baker mayfield in the pregame and followed by uh danny stutzman's pregame speech brent venables like you said a little bit of a vibe there and then Brian Bosworth comes up and hits cleanup after the game. If we had known all that was going to transpire, I would have bet everything I have on uh, on Oklahoma. I didn't know that. Uh, wow. Um, the game. Okay, let's back up. The game itself was amazing. Both teams fighting, scrapping. I thought Texas, even when it was when it was seven nothing, and Oklahoma was off to that unbelievable start. I thought, okay, this is perfect for OU. Then Texas comes back and screws up, screws around some more, and then they get a block punt, and they're standing in the end zone, and it's 7-7. And I thought, right there, I thought, okay, Oklahoma's magic has probably run out. 
all those things went for for the Sooners in the first six minutes, and it's 7-7. This is going to be tough. The team that runs the football more effectively is going to win this game. To that point, it started to look like Texas was establishing the running game. We didn't know that Dylan Gabriel was going to run for a career-high 113 yards. So where did that come from, right? But just the way the game – basically, it was, a, it was a case of what we've seen before, which was Texas was probably the better team in 2018, right? You, you'd think on the field that day, not the, not the season, for certainly not the season, but on the field that day, Texas played better. But then here comes Kyler Murray at the end to clean everything up. Only problem was your defense was terrible and gives up that field goal drive. That happened a couple of times. Uh, Caleb Williams, for instance, uh, Texas was doing the thing, and all of a sudden Caleb Williams comes on and turns it into his game. At some point, uh, Dylan Gabriel, I think, came out and said, no, 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 that ain't happening. That ain't happening. I don't care what this time is on the on the clock. I don't care about the the timeouts or the scoreboard. I'm going to take this team down. I'm going to win the game. I was blown away by his leadership. Uh, Come up with however many words you want. The leadership that he showed, the poise that he showed, the composure in such a heated moment, and his will to just come back and say, this is not happening. We're going 75 yards in 62 seconds with no timeouts. Yeah, it it was impressive and and. That was the biggest game of his career, the biggest stage of his career. And and we kind of mentioned it in the live blog. We talked about it after the game. It didn't start perfect. Like the, the first drive did because Oklahoma started in plus territory in the OU end, basically. And then the rest of that first quarter and they were playing out of the Texas end, it looked like there were, you know, there was the rain miscommunication on the, the snap that went over Gabriel's head. There was another really high snap, trying to figure stuff out. And eventually, once they got Caden Green in there, I think that physically it was just a better matchup as far as just size and strength. Um, having Caden Green at left guard going up against that the beefy, beefy interior that Texas had as opposed to Troy Everett. And then it, it just was at the end there, because it, it looked like for a moment, Oklahoma coming out of the half gets that first drive. Then they get the fumble. Can you cash in? Can you go up 17? Then they couldn't. And then it was the string of four straight drives where Oklahoma's offense didn't do anything. And that's where Texas looked like they were really taken over. And so I, I just thought that was really impressive that things could go bad for basically 35, 40 straight minutes for the offense. And then when they needed it most, they just said, Nope, we're going to go win this game. And Dylan Gabriel, Drake Stoops, Chilo Farouk, boom, 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 right down the field. You have the Walter house double block, all that stuff. Yeah. I, I can't stress enough. What you just said is how, how accurate that is that, Three straight drives, four straight drives, Oklahoma went nowhere. And, you know, in the course of a normal football game, you're like, well, that's that. You know, if it's the the Steelers and the Browns or if it's Washington State, USC, well, that's that. That's I guess it's not going to happen. It's Oklahoma, Texas, and any freaking thing can happen that can possibly happen will happen. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, here comes OU with this uh, lifeless offense, (laughs) and they just – they go like uh, the guy said several times in the post game interviews. It's like we do every Wednesday. This is our two minute drill. Okay. Oh, okay. So <laughs> probably should roll that out once in a while during the uh, during the regular uh, parts of the game, not just the last sixty seconds. Crazy. Well, they they had two good two minute drills too. Like 
they did at the end of the half. The the Tyler Guyton false start that ran 10 seconds off the clock, Oklahoma would have been set up uh, instead of having to kick the field goal after the Dillier didn't put in the perfect spot for Tommy Walker. Tommy Walker drops it. Like they almost would have had 12 seconds on the clock to take another shot at the end zone before bringing um, Zach Schmidt on. So it it was one of those things where Texas left a lot of meat on the bone, but so did Oklahoma. You you think about defensively for me, um, that second interception probably shouldn't have happened if either special teams just pays attention to Texas shifting out on the fake punt, which Brent Venables talked about on Monday night, that they had run through that in the – yeah. Saturday morning walkthrough, and I think that you just had a lot of people wrapped up in the moment. Uh, if on that fourth down on that drive as well, that almost resulted the fumble, if, if there's just any coverage back, that doesn't happen, and, and you're not backed up in. You think about the Texas, was it their first touchdown that was the fourth down going into the south end zone that uh, Gunner High, the, the tight end was just, Gunner Helm was wide open. That's stuff we haven't seen from Oklahoma all year long. They've been really good on third and fourth downs. They were pretty good on third down. Uh, Texas hit a couple of fourth downs that just looked like mental errors and uh, guys getting wrapped up in the moment. And so Griffin was talking a ton about this bye week. There's a ton to correct from that game. Mm-hmm. Happy they won it. They've got the good vibes, all that. But I wonder how much easier it is to keep the team focused when they can flip on the tape and be like, look, we should have won this game by this and this and that. Yeah. Texas is doing the same thing. But it's all about can the Oklahoma coaches keep OU focused and that chip on their shoulder despite the fact that now they've arrived. It's the perfect teaching opportunity. You come out with a win. Brent Venable said it on Monday. You get to you get to uh, teach coming off a win, and that's always the best. Um, but there's a lot to lot to learn. Not just those uh, the ones you mentioned, but there's there's missed tackles on Jonathan Brooks and he's really good by the way. He's, he's, I've watched him a couple of times this year, watched him against Alabama and, and I can't remember who the other one was, uh, Wyoming maybe. I thought, yeah, he's, he's a nice little running back. No, he's really good. Very impressive. He's not probably on Bijan's level, but at the same time, he's better than what they've had uh, aside from Bijan over the last 10 years. He's really good. So he's going to make you miss. Uh, and then uh, hats off to, to Sark, for his play designs and his ability to isolate receivers in space to find, uh, you know, make, make, make uh, OU defensive backs and linebackers think that they're seeing one thing you feed them this eye candy over here. And then you bring a guy over here and he's wide open because they haven't run that all year. And hats off to Quinn Ewers too, for being able to execute those plays, put the ball on the spot, give them a catchable ball and the receivers are making plays. There's not like a panic button for Oklahoma's defense, right? There's not like a, oh, my God, we gave up 527 yards and 340 passing or whatever it was, and we're, we're terrible again. The OU fans don't need to think that way. They went up against a really clever offensive coordinator, play caller, head coach, a really talented quarterback, and a very gifted wide receiver core, who, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, those guys didn't have just a ton of, uh, ton of catches. Yeah, well, those, those wide receivers that we talked about talked up all week long. Yeah, they're really good, and I think that while there were there's some moments that I think a lot of guys in the film on Sunday and Monday will look at and go, ah, should have had that tackle in the running game. Oklahoma still was really good at tackling in space. So, like everything you need to know, the the huge like if I could pick one play to say this is how you know Oklahoma's defense has come a long way, it would be the very first play of the game. Steve Sarkeesian started the game. 
the same way he started the 2021 OU Texas game. Yeah. Let's try and, and get Xavier Worthy out on the perimeter and see if he can make a play. Woody Washington threw Jatavian Sanders to the side as if Jatavian Sanders was some scrub and not one of the better tight ends in college football, even if he was hobbled, and then blew Xavier Worthy up, and Xavier Worthy didn't look like he got close to shaking that tackle at all, and that's where you go, oh, play one? That, that looks a little bit different than maybe it's looked in years past for the Oklahoma defense. The Oklahoma defense is not what it was in 2021 or 2022, for sure. You know, I mean, you, you roll those plays at him. I this is this is weird to say. I'm not sure that Texas I'm I'm still not sure that Texas isn't the more talented team, more hyped team, more better uh better players. I'm not sure that but there is no chance. There is no chance that Texas plays harder, tries harder, works harder. I mean, I'm serious uh when I say that in terms of talent on one side and guts on the other, which one would you rather have? You'd rather have the talent and then you can develop the guts, right? Uh, what got Oklahoma through that game was guts, determination, hard work, all those, all those cliches that everybody hates hearing gang tackling. Just look at the, uh, the fourth down or the, the, the goal line stand. Just look at the goal line stand. That was all guts, man. They put two 350 pounders in the backfield and it didn't matter. Oklahoma's defense went around those guys, stuffed those guys, knocked those guys back at some point, and uh, and then they throw it to their speedy wide receiver, and he goes nowhere. Because why? Because of the effort and the guts and the determination, the hard work, all that, all those stupid cliches. Oklahoma had it in spades on Saturday. That was that to me was the most impressive part. You could tell in the pregame speech when you hear Stutzman yelling. What was his What was his famous quote? Uh, Oklahoma only fears God. Texas fears Oklahoma. I don't know how accurate that is. It's cool to hear and it's cool to say and all that kind of stuff. But when you see it play out on the field, there's some truth to that. Well, and it's why dominate is a word that is shouldn't really be used in this rivalry. I mean, when you look at it, like Texas leads the all-time series. If you had gone back the past 39 games before Saturday, it was or. Yeah, 33, 33, and 3. So that shows you how even it is. But I just think it's shown since 2008, there's a reason that Oklahoma is, what, like 16 and 7 or or, some, or since 2000, excuse me, or, or something in this rivalry is because um, it, it's the reason why Oklahoma has always been at, at the tippy top of college football. They never are the number one recruiting class, usually, because of where the Oklahoma's located. You can't build a number one recruiting class out of the state of Oklahoma. You could out of Texas. You could out of the the Ohio's of the world, the, the footprint of the SEC, stuff like that. Oklahoma can have a really, really good recruiting class, but to be the elite elite, you got to filter in some other stuff. So they've always had to develop, and they've always had to grit, toughness, whatever it is, the intangibles. They've needed that, and... And they had it on Saturday. I said the Texas receivers didn't have a bunch of numbers. Uh, shows to, goes to show what I how often I look at the uh, box score. Whittington ten for one hundred and fifteen. Xavier Worthy eight for one hundred and eight. They did have numbers. They had most of their numbers in the second half. In the first half, uh, you didn't see uh, Adonai Mitchell. Uh, he finished with three catches for 33 yards. Uh, I think Worthy had three catches at halftime. So they weren't that much of a factor, I guess, is where you know you, you set your, uh, your expectations based on what you see early in the game. Uh, but, you know, obviously they got going in the second half. Now, 
before I forget, we, we've got some mid-season report card uh, grades coming up in the second segment, so don't miss that. That's going to be fun. Uh, Ryan, this game was the number one game of the week, the number one college football game of the week. Uh, I've seen two numbers, 7.9 million to 8.1 million. One of those two numbers is probably somewhat accurate. That's how many viewers watch this game. It was the number one game of, uh, of the week. It was one of the top, I think, three games of the college football season so far. It's the number two, well, let's put it this way. It's the number one OU Texas game in terms of viewers since 2009, and it's the number two all-time game that they have on record. Does that what does that do for you in terms of knowing that there were this many people interested dialed into this game? Number one, ABC grabbed it, put it on their their wide broadcast, uh, so that helps. Uh, but it was hyped up. It's 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 OU Texas, of course, but it was also it was they spent the week. Everybody spent the week hyping this thing up, and I think the fans enjoyed the fact that uh, there was a, a collective experience. Them and eight eight million other people. Uh, watching this game well i frankly because it's easy to say we cover oklahoma it just means that texas finally held up their end of the bargain coming into this game the reason that we've been starved since 2011 of having both these teams undefeated is because for the most part texas has been hot garbage since 2009 since colt mccoy got hurt and so i i think that while there are some people that are questioning some of the individual play calls and decisions by Steve Sarkeesian. There's no doubting the progress that Steve Sarkeesian and Texas have made. And it's been like, I know Tom Herman made a big 12 championship game, but was anyone really a believer in Ellinger, all all that stuff, seeing Quinn Ewers who had a great game outside the two interceptions and it's football. So you can't be like outside the two interceptions, but still was what, like 31 of 37, throwing two picks, 19 straight completions, all that stuff. I think it just showed you that it's big for Brent Venables to get the program on track in year two, but it just means that Texas finally is, has arrived and this game matters again because for the longest time, uh, we could have had a lot of top 15 battles if Texas just wasn't laughably bad. That, that's all that meant to me. That's why the SEC, when these two brands come and knock in, they say yes, and that's why the Big 12, if you look down the other top 10 games of the week, the Big 12 had one other game. Do you know which game that was? Had to be the Butt Bowl. It was the Friday night offering of K-State and OSU. Oh, yeah. It came in at number 10, and the oh, only right. reason it was there is because it was Friday night and standing alone. Yeah, $2.7 million on ESPN on the big mothership. So, um, And we listened to it. I, I don't know where you were, but I was driving in my car listening on the satellite radio and uh, scratching my head multiple times in that game. Like, what is this coaching staff doing? Oh, they're trying to out-stupid the other coaching staff. Yeah. Good Battle one. Royale of stupid in that one. Um, I don't know, man. Ah, well, the analytics say, no, the analytics are idiots. <laughs> Just coach the game. Just do the thing. Well, the analytics say that Will Howard can't throw three interceptions right? <laughs> right. and win the game. How about that? <laughs> right. So, uh, Ryan, uh, we'll finish this segment with this. I wrote a column on Monday, uh, about the, and I, and I hated to do it. I've been wanting to do it for the last six weeks, right? Part of the last six weeks. I wrote a column about how the similarities between this team and the 2000 national championship team are obvious and widespread. They're everywhere. And the reason that I said, you know what, let's go ahead and do this. Let's go ahead. 
I've been avoiding it. I've been wanting to write it, um, state the obvious to a lot of these things, but I've been avoiding it because it's, you know, they went six and seven last year, right? The Brent Venable still got to prove himself as a head coach. We, we can't be writing that just because it's Venable's second year and Stoops won a national title in his second year that there's all these similarities. We can't do that, right? Well, now that they're 6-0 and and they beat Texas and Brent Venables himself brought it up in the post-game press conference, I was like, all right, gates are open. Let's run. Everybody, let's ride. We're, we're taking this thing. And it's interesting, Ryan, the feedback I got on this column. About 75% of the people were offered at some point, I've been saying this for weeks. And at the same time, about 75% of the people are saying, and I'm talking about OU fans, readers here, are saying, dear God, please don't bring this up now. <laughs> yeah, I. well, this isn't, like, Brent Middles was asked, like, what is this, is there a situation, because he's turned around a couple of defenses, right, uh, that, that the growth this defense has made in, in the postgame, and he was like, you could tell he did the, am I going to say this out loud? Yeah. I know how this is going to sound screw it the the leap that was made from 99 to 2000 but look Brent Venables has not been great at the expectation management game uh, that just shows why I'm a very pessimistic person and and Brent has achieved great things in life because go back to SEC schedule release day when he does his little the the feature show at Rudy's or whatever and he's quoted as saying like if the defense just gets a bit better we can hang a banner this year he was talking about the Big 12 championship and I was just like, I understand you believe that, and that it makes sense that if the defense was just a little bit better, that the offense was efficient enough on paper. But maybe wait, you know, a little bit, and then say, you know, I was telling the guys all offs after you've won a Big 12 championship, in hindsight, be like, I told them this, and they did it. Yeah. But that's just not his style. He he has he has a standard for how he wants the game played, whether the team's good, bad, whatever. And uh, he's going to make the comparisons. Um, I think that that might be – Though a little, not disingenuous is the right word. It the comparison might take away a little bit from just how special that 2000 team was because by modern standards, and I, I'm just talking about on paper recruiting. I understand all the NFL players that went on to play off that game, but by modern standards, people point to the 2000 national championship as the last time that one of the non blue chip ratio teams in college football won a national title. Since then, you've had to have X percent of four and five stars. That's been bared out in the numbers and Stoops, his coaching staff, that team, a lot of guys that were under recruited. Recruiting is a lot different these days. I think those guys have been rated higher with so much more attention that's played. But it was a special group because of how from nowhere they came. Yeah, and I remember the story. I remember, I should say, I remember parts or certain details of the story that Bob Stoops tells from time to time about uh... – they were three and zero in non-conference play, and they beat Kansas. You know, they had to come back a little bit to beat Kansas at home, and uh, they go into the Texas game, and it's like whatever it was, forty-two-seven or something, or thirty-five nothing, whatever the score was. And I don't remember if it was uh, one of Quentin Griffin's fourth or fifth touchdown, or if it was the run back by Rocky Kalmus with the with the club thumb cast on his hand where he's got the pick six. But at some point, Stoops during that stretch gets on the headset with his coaching staff and says, boys, I think we might be pretty good. That's five games into the season. When you're up 42, seven on Texas or 42, nothing, whatever it was, 
versus Brent in the preseason saying, <laughs> we could we could hang a banner if we just play a little bit better defense. Totally different approaches right there. Yeah, it's like, not to say, like, Brent's just a confident guy. Like, he, every yeah. single post game he comes in, and, and other than Texas, where um, you could tell he soaked in that experience a little bit and was just really he, proud was the word he described for, for the program, but the previous five post game press conferences, he's happy, he's smiling because they won the game, and he's just like, "Yeah, but there is so much we have to get better on." Yeah. In Cincinnati, he emphatically said, "This is not a dominant defense yet. Like you have to be playing close to per all that stuff." And, and that was kind of the same message come back to Monday of they've got a long ways to go. They're only six and zero. They've only won three Big Twelve games. Three conference wins doth not make a Big Twelve champion. Uh, and and so you can tell, and that's kind of what I was asking. A bunch of those guys, I think our, our guy Tim wrote about that is, okay, you have a ton of guys now that you're getting the attention. You had 8 million people av- on average watching the game. You're the number five team in the country. You've had almost, by the time this is done, I'm sure 5 billion people have watched the video that they put out on, on Twitter, all that stuff. And you've got like a Rondell Bothroyd who Wake Forest was good while he was there, but Wake Forest doesn't get this kind of attention. It's Oklahoma. You've got a bunch of freshmen that – this is the first time they've been under this kind of microscope. Uh, how do you how do you keep that you know chip on your shoulder? And basically, the reflection was by watching the tape against Texas and seeing how much they're still to improve. And that was Danny Stutzman told me that. Key Lawrence talked about that. Like Jill Fru, it, it seems like this team um, coming off of last year sees just how quickly things can go bad. It'll be interesting to see if that leads to them keeping their head screwed on straight for the final six games of this season. Right yeah. I'll uh, I'll bring it up uh, this way because because Brent brought it up himself. Some of the uh, similarities in 2023, um, you've got the obvious ones where a coach comes from Kansas State, goes into the South, takes a team that had played for a national championship or was close to playing for a national championship that had just been embarrassed defensively, Bob Stoops, Brent Venables, resurrects those defenses, builds those programs into national champions, and then takes the his first head coaching job at the University of Oklahoma. That's one similarity. It's obvious. Uh, another one is uh, that 99 season. OU lost. OU was ahead and lost three close games. Um, and then last year you saw Oklahoma was ahead or had the opportunity to be ahead, lost five close games. Uh, and then was something Brent brought up that I thought was uh, kind of poignant. The driving force on offense and the driving force on defense were the quarterback and the middle linebacker. And the linebacker, by the way, is from Florida in both cases, right? Uh, Both cases, the quarterback is a lefty, right? So there's so many just like, huh. If you look at uh, where they came from in the preseason poll in 2000, they were 19 and 20. And in 2023, they were 20 and 19 coming from the preseason poll. So there's just so many fun comparisons now. They're 6 and 0. That 2000 team started six and zero. That 2000 team went thirteen and zero. If this team goes thirteen and zero, they will be qualified to get into the college football playoff, and that's where it all begins, right? I mean, holy crap! You go thirteen and zero, and the best you can do is get to the playoff uh, to try to get to fifteen and zero in the final year of the four fourteen playoff. It's going to be crazy, man. It's going to be a crazy back half of the season. Where is the? Uh... I'm not asking this for OU's sake. Just a is the Natty in Vegas this year? Don't know. 
Cause I, it, I it's know. it's what rose sugar for the semifinals. We'll uh, we'll research that at the break. How about that? Yes. Okay. We'll also tell you some things that are not in common with the 2000 team. You're not going to want to hear this. This is this is the bad part. Uh, but uh, we'll get to all that. And don't forget midseason report cards plus Randall. All that's next on the All Sooners podcast. Okay, second segment uh, off. Tw- if you're on Twitter, give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. You can find me at John E. Hoover. All one word. Uh, Ryan, you can always find him at underscore Ryan Chapman. Follow Ross at Ross Lovelace. Randall, Randall Sweet 5. Follow him for all the latest recruiting news. And Tim Willert 2 is, uh, is our fifth guy. The website, of course, allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All Sooners is free, so just get on there and click around. You don't need any passwords, credit cards, emails, nothing. Don't need to register. You can if you want to. Gives you access to the entire SI site if you want to register and pay the uh, pay the premium, but uh, you don't have to to go to All Sooners. And a quick reminder, this segment of the All Sooners podcast is presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. Again, I'd like to ask you two questions. Are you 100% sure you're going to have a great retirement or do you have some doubt? Secondly, if I could show you how to get completely debt-free, including your mortgage, in just nine years or less, on the same dollars that you currently spend, would you want to learn more? I would. At Infinite Asset Advisors, not only do they help you plan for retirement, but they also show you how to become debt-free before you get there. They are experts in financial planning, retirement planning, even estate planning. Visit their website, infiniteassetadvisors.com, to learn more and book a call with an expert. All right, Ryan, segment two. We got a lot to talk about and a short time to get there, So, as the song says. We uh, we teased it there at the at the end of the second segment or the end of the first segment. Um, one thing that this team does not have in common so far with the 2000 team, that 2000 team stayed very healthy all season long. Very few uh, injuries to the starters. Very few injuries to the depth chart to the two deep. Not so for this team. Maybe this team's got better competitive depth. And can roll with the punches, but boy, what a punch, what a blow they took on Saturday when wide receiver Andrew Anthony, leading receiver in terms of yards, I think 429 yards. Andrew Anthony out for the season, Ryan. Woof. Yeah, that that one's tough. And um, we've talked about this on the, the morning show, basically, since the, the news came out. We know that everybody sees the stuff he does down the field, but. Eddie and I had felt like third downs were a spot that Andrew Anthony really stood tall. And so I went and tallied the numbers yesterday of his 27 catches. Eight of those have come on third down. Uh, he's been targeted 10 times, caught eight balls. That's essentially 30% of his receptions, but it's just 18% of his yards. He's got 79 yards on third down. And if you go through it, there's a lot, John, a lot of, He's averaging like 9.8 yards per catch on third down. There's a lot of it's third and four. He catches a five yard ball. It's third and six. He catches a seven yard ball against Texas. He had an 11 yard catch on a third and 10. He's been one of those guys that gets to the sticks, gets separation with his route running and Dylan Gabriel finds him. So 
I kind of laid it out in my story yesterday, which is at, at the site. Oklahoma's got a couple of options if they want to do the money ball thing, right? The famous scene where it's like, we don't have to replace Jason Giambi. We just have to replace his production in the aggregate, basically. Uh, way less sexy than when Aaron Sorkin wrote that. Go figure. But you look at it, you've got Brennan Thompson, who can stretch the field like Andrew Anthony, speed. You've got Nick Anderson, who can break tackles left, right, and center. Maybe he's a guy that could go over the middle of the field and get you tough yards on third down. you got Jaden Gibson, who's looked pretty good. Uh, looking back on his two uh, opportunities against Texas, there were two really, really good plays by the defensive back. And now Jaden Gibson knows that toughness that it takes against like a Texas-style defense to come down with those catches. And two of those guys, Gibson 6'5", Anderson 6'4", give you some matchup nightmares. But I, I just wonder how tough that's going to be because if, if it just becomes that simple, then if they roll Brennan Thompson in, the defense goes, oh, maybe – He's going to try and get behind us. If it's Nick Anderson, it's like, well, don't let him run behind you and try and rally to the ball. Andrew could do it all, which is what made him such of a weapon. They didn't have to sub and they could get everything they wanted overall on that side of the field. Yeah. Uh, I was just looking at some pro football focus numbers. Nick Anderson right now is averaging 27 snaps per game. Uh, I foresee in his future um, much more than 27, right? I mean, that's, that's the guy to me. That's got to take. Uh, that's got to take it to the next level. Um, and maybe he needs to be. Maybe he needs to be a guy that uh, coaches. Coaches certainly believe in him, right? But for one reason or another, for instance, against Texas, he didn't play. I don't think except maybe on special teams until the fourth quarter, and then when Anthony went out, he started getting the the one reps. And what does he do? He comes in, and wins the game, the, wins the game with a with a touchdown. So. Um, he's a guy that I would think is going to be, uh, again, he had 160 snaps. Andrell Anthony in that situation had, has compiled so far through six games, 290. So you're going to see more, uh, snaps for him. I would think, I would think that there's maybe opens the door a little bit. And if you're Dylan Gabriel, obviously you can't force things, but your two busiest wide receivers so far have been Drake Stoops and, uh, Jalil Farouk. Maybe you get those guys, the ball, maybe they, I don't know, get a little more separation in certain situations. Maybe they get more looks in third downs. I don't know how you could do that with Stoops because he gets a, a lot right now. But, um, yeah, the, the, there's some receivers on this team that uh, we've seen it. We've talked about it, how this this receiver core goes from, well, we don't know who the best receivers are because none of them have ever played, to we don't know who the best receivers are because they're all really good. And so there's uh, Jaden Gibson is, is a guy, for instance, where's Jaden Gibson snap counts for the season. Jaden Gibson, 92 snaps in six games. He's averaging 15 a game. He's going to have to, he's going to have to play more with Andrew Anthony out. Yeah. And it, it's a big spot for him at Jones. You it, incredible job so far. One of the biggest question marks coming into the season. It's been one of Oklahoma's biggest strengths offensively, but now, by virtue of needing that next man up, all that stuff, going to have to have someone take that and run with it. But uh, I think it's an opportunity for a couple of guys, like we kind of listed out. Uh, also including that story, Gavin Freeman and Jaquez Petaway. The reason I didn't factor those guys in is one of them would have to move positions because we heard, go back to the Arkansas State game, or when Drake Stoops missed the, you know, after like the second drive, he was out, which meant that there was a lot of Gavin Freeman involved. And then Jaquez Petaway, had a ton of catches in the second half. And when asked about that, 
Uh, Jeff Lee was kind of like, yeah, well, when Drake went out, Gavin slotted up. And then when the starters all came out, that slotted Petaway up a little bit. We just haven't seen Petaway used or Freeman really outside of that kind of as the the second and third string for Drake Stoops. Not saying that they can't move those guys, but that's why I honed in on Thompson, Gibson, Anderson. Those are the ones that we've seen. Yeah. Um, so that's a that's a tough blow. We just from a personal standpoint, just getting to interview Andrew Anthony and and you know see how he interacts with his teammates. I just it just sucks. Just absolutely sucks. He's such a cool guy. He uh, is so well liked by his teammates. He's uh, he's just someone who's really easy to root for. And I think his teammates at Michigan would say the same thing. They were surprised when he left because he was doing great. He was had a good standing on the team. Everybody liked him. And he says, you know what? I want to go to Oklahoma. And they're like, what? Why? But we love you here. You know, and now it's one of those things where they love him at OU and, and his knee or whatever it is. I'm pretty sure it's his knee. Um, ACL. ACL, right. The, he was engaged in a block. Venables didn't and, officially say ACL, but Scoop Eddie reported ACL officially. Yeah. And if you if you watch there's if you watch the TV copy there's this you can see an image uh, he's getting kind of blocked he's he's blocking a guy and at the last second the guy throws him kind of kind of disengages him and his leg kind of extends out and, and uh, that knee just kind of pops when he when he lands and then he just hits the ground and immediately grabs the front where the ACL is. Um, you're talking about talking to somebody here whose daughter went through the ACL thing in soccer. And that's exactly what it looked like. Her knee went out, landed awkwardly, went down, rolled over, grabbed the front of it. And then they start doing that ACL test where they're looking for movement forward, backward movement. And you could just tell, so you hate to see it. Um, like Brent Venable said, his fo- best football may be still Brent Venable said his best football is still in front of him. Um, we'll see how, you know, a receiver bounces fast, speedy receiver, explosive receiver bounces back uh, next year from an ACL injury. The one that surprised me. Oh, real yeah, quick, go ahead, Ryan. last little thing. Venables did later add that it's not as swollen as some other um, of that type. And while he's still going to miss the season, it's not like that's yeah. with a doubt. He did say that that's usually an early indicator. Every injury like that is different, but. If there's less of the swelling, it's usually an early indicator that hopefully that means it can be one of the shorter timelines that comes with it. So he'll still be out for the end of this year. That, but we we've seen it before. Guys can bounce back from this young in their career. Science has moved mm-hmm. forward a, a lot on that surgery in particular. And Venables did say the swelling was low, which is usually, without being there and actually looking at it, a good indicator as far as the severity. Best of a bad situation. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how that comes back, uh, how that kid comes back next year. I, I expect he'll be back full strength by probably this time next year, I would guess. He'll be back doing some things and contributing, but uh, it'll usually take to a full 12 months before you're 100%. We'll see. I'm sure he's uh, he's got uh, all the uh, best resources available to him, and I wish him well. The one that surprised me was McCade Matoyer. Um, Brent said, best case scenario, he'll be back sooner rather than later. Now that's a little bit nebulous. There's some a lot of gray area in there, but uh, the way it was, the way it was kind of unfolded on Saturday, the way it all looked was like, oh my gosh, he's got a broken leg. Nope, just a sprained ankle. Wow. Uh, 
as weird as it is, Oklahoma's been pretty lucky on two of those. It looks like Bevel might have, you know, gone out with a blown out knee. That ended up being I don't mean to, to correct, like Brent Middle said it was an ankle sprain, a high ankle sprain for Bevel. The brace has always been on his knee. I almost wonder if he meant like an MCL sprain, similar to what yeah. Blake Shapin at Baylor had, because Bevel and, and Shapin's timelines have been similar. Then for McCade, yeah, it looked like the air cast was brought out, but he was not on crutches Monday night. We saw him walk by in that protective boot. Hmm. Um, and, and so that, that's one of those things that not lost for the year, ankle sprains without being able to say, without a trainer telling me what the grade of the sprain is, it's hard for me to even project a timeline because yeah. the ankle sprain timeline is all over the place. But like you said, not broken. It will be Caleb Schaefer in there. I would expect for a, quite a bit. Uh, but I would imagine back into November, you're, you're probably having discussions on if McCade can get back up there and out in playing, if not sooner. Yeah. And he's one of those guys, you know, he's wrapping up his college football career. He's, he's one of the leaders on the team. He's one of those interior offensive linemen. Who's just as tough as a boot. Right. So I, when Brent says sooner rather than later, seriously, I, I don't know the extent or the grade or any of that of the sprain, but if he came back for Central Florida, I would not be surprised. I'm just saying. Because that's the mindset of these offensive linemen. This is my last year, Coach. I ain't going to miss it. I'm going to do my best. Tape it up. Let's go. Love that mind mentality. Yeah, it'll be interesting because uh, we'll get into this too, but you could have a different left guard, different right guard at Central Florida than anything we've seen starting this year because we saw Caleb Schaefer come in, but – Going back and watching the, the game copy, the TV copy of OU Texas, Caden Green needs to start at left guard the rest of the year. I, <laughs> I'm really good. I'm done. I like it's done. <laughs> it's his job. Let him grow into it. He's really good. Let's uh, let's finish up on the injuries. So uh, a couple of more that have been lingering. Justin Harrington out for the year ACL. He's gonna um, he's gonna apply for a sixth year. Would that be a seventh year for him? Um, Savion Bird. Do we know anything about what his situation is? Uh, I I think he's healthy. We because he's been available. He's been out there. Uh, he was just super inconsistent. And I think with Troy Everett getting all the run basically against Cincinnati, most of the run against Iowa State. I think going into OU Texas, they were saying they finally have some stability at left guard. Now, I think Troy Everett just wasn't big enough to to hang oh. with the Texas interior, which is why Caden Green went in there. And again, a long way around to say. Uh, Savion should be healthy and available. Troy should be healthy and available. I do not want to see either of those guys start against the Knights if I yeah. were projecting the, the high end of the OU offensive line. And then another one that they've been without, let's just face it. I mean, I, I can't think of another reason why there hasn't been any talk about an injury other than the lingering foot thing in the spring. But where the hell is Javante Barnes? Um, Javante continues to be absent. I mean, he was out there. I saw him dancing and putting the golden hat on. But um, he, I mean, that's another injury. Uh, again, we started this conversation comparing it to 2000. These are guys who Javante Barnes was supposed to be the starting running back when the season started. Um, Justin Harrington was the starting cheetah. Savion Bird was the starting left guard. Uh, McCabe Matoyer, starting right guard. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's just one after another after another. Uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to get some clarity on Barnes, though. Yeah. With his, uh, 
is it you think it's just the foot thing lingering from well, yeah spring? that's what, that's, what said, that he had? that's what he said after iowa state that he had the foot thing in the spring he's just not been 100 percent healthy he said that in the iowa state post game so um finally got some clarity on that uh okay. other ones Ginger williams is back at practice uh i i had thought through up until texas that it's been a stinger situation with gentry that's kind of recurring um, I didn't hear the radio broadcast. So I was told on the radio broadcast, Gabe Eichard said for Texas, it was he he got fluids in the locker room. So I don't know if it was a dehydration thing, but Key Lawrence had to finish a corner uh, for Oklahoma against Texas. Brent Venable said of the four guys that they had banged up, three of those four were back in practice. Had it confirmed by, I think, Eddie yep. as well, that Kenai Walker was back in practice on Monday as well. So not a lot. Andrew's major season ending, Harrington major season ending. Um, everything else, like this is a very important bye week for Oklahoma to just heal up the secondary yep. and, uh, and, and kind of get some clarity on the running back situation. And, and it's, it's a good thing for Oklahoma because if you want to make the move at Caden Green at left guard, you've got a whole week of a bye week plus a whole week of practice for UCF to two weeks to get those guys to gel in practice. Mm-hmm. You've got two weeks to figure out your wide receiver rotation to replace Andrew Anthony. And maybe it's two more weeks as necessary for Javante Barnes to be up in operation. So let's talk about Caden Green. Tavondre Sweat was wrecking shop to a, to a degree down there. Three, 362 pounds, 6'4", 362 is Texas's big defensive tackle, Tavondre Sweat. Fifth-year senior, I think. Kid's a good player. He's a really powerful, explosive, dynamic athlete with 362 pounds on his frame, okay? Uh, that's almost 100 pounds more than Troy Everett. Right, Troy Everett's about 285. I think his deal says his official roster weight says like 294, but I don't think that's right. I think he's closer to 280, 285. Anyway, Oklahoma spent a lot of the, the Oklahoma's off interior offensive line spent a lot of time in the first half going backwards, uh, and they put Caden Green in there, and that stopped. He started blocking Tavondre Sweat at the point of attack and getting him blocked. The kid finished with zero tackles for loss, zero tackles, no no sacks, but he did get his hands on Dylan Gabriel a couple of times. And I think that's when you saw the change. I think that's when you saw Caden Green come in and say, oh, okay, we're going to lock this down. What, you know, we've talked about all the five stars. We've talked about PJ and we've talked about Peyton and we've talked about obviously Jackson Arnold. Caden Green might be developing into one of the most important freshmen on this entire roster. And there's a reason that uh, you want to stack five-star players because Peyton Bowen forces a fumble against Texas, P.J. Adebore hits Quinn Ewers so that ball can't get deep into the end zone against Texas, and Caden Green shores up the offensive line. He was the highest-rated offensive line recruit that Bill Bebo had ever landed at the time of his commitment, and and he's shown that, started out at tackle. His future may well be at tackle, but for this year on this team, I think he can help wonders at left guard, and to plop him can you imagine a better thing for his first year development, regardless of if he ends up at left guard or left tackle for Oklahoma to play in between Walter Rouse, who's in the first year of this offense, but has played a ton of college football and is obviously supremely intelligent. And Andrew Rame, who has been at Oklahoma, his whole career, second year in this offense has that experience, a multi-year starter to help that guy along, especially if you've got, you know, Guyton's going to be fine on the other side, Caleb Schaefer helping him out. Like, I can't think of a better way for him to experience college football. No better time than playing actual snaps, as Brent Venable says all the time, developmental game. 
not only help your future, but then suddenly you're talking about they're going to have to replace Walter Rouse going to the SEC, might have to replace Tyler Guyton if he continues on on this path going to the SEC. Andrew, like being able to have Caden Green be an anchor of that line heading into the SEC, whether it's at left tackle, left guard, whatever, you know, Sexton does at left tackle. Like, I I mean, right now, as it, as it would stand today, if they're rolling through with Jacob Sexton at left tackle and Caden Green at left guard, I'd feel great about the left side of Oklahoma's line next year. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, we got those report cards to get to, Ryan, but uh, we'll, we'll before we do that, let's do this. Uh, Brent Venables talked yesterday or Monday about uh, the, there's a community service project going on this week. I thought this was really cool. There's a state law in Oklahoma that if you're a child in foster care, you have to have your own bed. Well, Oklahoma's doing what they can community service wise. The Sooners are building beds. They spent all day Tuesday on a community service project where they're building bunk beds for foster care. How cool is that? That's just amazing to me. Yeah. And it's one of those things that uh, Brentville's talked about. It's a, it's an easier week as far as practicing Monday, practicing Wednesday, I have a couple of days off, but to be able to keep those guys together. And, and this is something very near and dear to Brent Vittable's heart. We talked to Ethan Downs a bunch about all the service projects he has done. And, and those are just two of the many guys in this program who, who really care about being part of that community. And, and it's just what, there are a lot of things Joe Siglione doesn't know anytime you hire a head coach because they're unknowns. If Brent Vittables has never been a head coach for, you think he's as prepared as anybody, but you just don't know until you know. It looks like he's made great strides on the field. Yeah, One thing has. that Joe Siglione knew he was getting in Brent Venables is someone that will not – he will be a great representative of the program and the university, whether things are good, bad, whatever, and, and stuff like this of him saying, no, we want to take our allotted football time on the bye week, the practice time, let the guys heal up, but keep them together, continuing to do – team-centered stuff in a way that, that can help the community. I mean, wh- what else could you ask for from your head coach? Uh, you could ask for good game management, which you made reference to right there, which he did. Uh, those two timeouts right before halftime saved enough time to get down there and get a field goal. Uh, Brent, you're right, has made strides as a game manager. And I think he acknowledged that. I think at some point, whether it's in the post-game press conference or at his coach's show, he acknowledged uh, growth on his own part about, uh, you know, managing the game, managing the coaches. You know, you don't see Jeff Lebby out there with a with a six-point lead in the fourth quarter snapping it with uh, 28 seconds to go on the play clock anymore. They learned that. They figured it out in their first year eventually. Um, those, those things matter. Um, something that struck me, Ryan, in, in regards to the, to the open date that Brent said on Monday, this was, this was so – this is such – like if you if you were to boil the entirety of Brent Venables down to a singular point, I think this is that singular point. And that is he started talking about bye weeks are different than they used to be. Summer summer workouts are different than they used to be. I was looking through some old notes from 1998 when I was the linebackers coach at Kansas State under Bill Snyder. Okay, stop right there. Why were you looking at old notes from 1998 when you were the linebackers coach? Wait, wait, stop. Back up one more step. Why do you still have notebooks from 1998, right? That's Brent Venables. No stone left unturned. No detail is too small. He's going back through time. 25 years 
to look at what Brent, what, what, uh, how Bill Snyder did his summer workouts. He said he was looking at this two weeks ago. That blows me away. And yet it, it blows me away. And yet I know Brent from the 20 years that I've been covering OU football. That's Brent. That's not, that's not surprising in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And that's why he demands that you got to, you guys got to put the work in outside of the 20 hours a week that, that we're allotted to work with you to, to be great and stuff like that. But also he's alluded to stuff like that before of, of he talked about kind of in his first spring that when he was on staff under Snyder and on staff under Stoops and on staff under Dabo that they'd make a good point. He's like, let me write that away just in case I ever need this one day when I'm a head coach, stuff like that. And, and then you saw it in, in the Texas week press conference, this may be the normal in college football. I don't know. I, I don't talk. I talked to one college football head coach a week and it's Brent Venables and it used to be Lincoln Riley. Um, but he, he talked about like when he's looking at film, he's looking at like the mannerisms of the opposing wide receivers and trying to see, are they high fiving guys? Are they blocking? He's like, I want to be in the mind and un- I want to feel like I understand everything that's going on between that group. And, that I, I think that is why there are some Tuesdays Brent Venables comes in and he may seem low energy or, or quieter to the outside because he's always juiced in post game. I he spends so much time. I guarantee you that he spends so much time from the time the game ends on or his head hits the pillow on Saturday night, Sunday morning to the time he talks to us on Tuesday. That he's probably watched of the 48 hours 30 hours of tape or, or something like something just outrageous like that, trying to uh, make sure that he can be as prepared as possible to prepare his guys. Yeah. One more nugget. If I could just get one more nugget to take into this game, that's what I need. I just need one more tiny little nugget of information that will put us over the top. That's how he goes through uh, these, these film sessions and preparation uh, mid season report cards. Before we get started on that UCF October 21st, that's Saturday after next. Uh, 11 a.m. of course, because Big 12. Uh, what are the Knights? Three and three overall. 0 and three in Big 12 play. Yeah, yeah. we do not have a, an early line on this one yet, but I got to figure Oklahoma is a big favorite. Well, there, and there won't be an early line because like the Knights have not played a Big 12 game all the way through with John Rice Plumley available. Um, he's kind of the engine that makes that offense go. They even with Plumley, they're not an explosive passing attack, but Plumley's legs plus the speed out of the backfield. You flip it over. The defense is booty. Uh, they can't stop anybody. Kansas with Jason Bean, who is as one-dimensional as it gets, they, like, named their yardage total. It was aggressive. So, on one hand, you should be. This is a run defense game for Oklahoma, something they've been pretty good at. And if they get Plumley, I think it'll be a really good tune-up for Kansas as far as what the Jayhawks will bring. If Jalen Daniels plays, that's weird. I don't care to speculate. It's two weeks away. Uh, then you f- you come back to the offensive side of things, and whether it's Caden Green, whether it's Troy Everett, whether it's Savion Bird, whether you and I go and play left guard, John, Oklahoma, this is the game that you say Oklahoma should be able to run the football and – you don't need a hundred yards out of Dylan Gabriel again. Whatever he gives you on the ground, great, you'll take it. Good job. But you don't need a hundred yards from Gabriel. Oklahoma should be able to put up a gaudy rushing total against the Knights. Yeah, uh, I think you're probably right. So here's a question for you: um, As we get into these uh, these midseason report cards, Ryan, and that is. Um, 
Where do you want to start? Quarterback? Might as yes. well start at quarterback. Let's start with yeah. quarterback. All right. Let's start at quarterback. Uh, this is an easy one for me. Dylan Gabriel has been better. My wife and I were talking about this last night. He hasn't had those 2022 Dylan Gabriel throws just yet. He hasn't had those 2022 Dylan Gabriel moments where he's holding the ball too long or not really sure or padding it. Or He's being extremely smart with the football, accurate with the football, decisive in either throwing the football to one read or second read or running it. He's, he's just A-plus. Dylan Gabriel, A-plus. He's been the best quarterback by far in the Big 12 Conference. Yeah, same. And, and part of that, too, is not just what he's done this year, but part of my grading system midway through this year will be with one mind on what you had last year. And for a guy that last year was his fourth year as a starting quarterback in college football, and I know that his uh, you know third year at UCF was cut short with the collarbone injury, all that stuff, it feels like you kind of know what kind of guy you're getting. There, there's not a bunch of big leaps to take. And then you look today – I think I tweeted out his just sports reference box this morning of like, okay, you see the other four years, how his completion percentage has been basically the same. And now it's jumped 10 points this year. You see how his yards per attempt and yards per completion are both up as well. And his, his QB ratings way up. And then you add in what he did on the ground. Uh, it It's not, he's not the best quarterback in college football right now, but you don't, he doesn't need to be to get an A plus for me, especially with all, of the decision-making leadership. He just feels so much more comfortable and he's doing a great job in this offense would be even more explosive. If he had just a little bit more support from the run game, which we'll get to. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Uh, running backs haven't um, really done anything to stand out. A couple of really nice plays by Tawi Walker. And I think that's pretty much it. Um, I'm going to say C minus on this one. Yeah. C's get degrees here, boss. They've been good enough. They've been, Todd Walker's giving you some tough yardage, stuff like that. But, uh, I mean, you've only had a running back over 100 yards once. That was Tawi against SMU. Um, other than that, kind of been – it hasn't really mattered what running back they've tried to get going. They've all just been fine. I thought, though, important, Tawi Walker was really good for me in pass protection against Texas. Yep. And, that, and that is a reason why I was – questioning if he could be the guy all year long because i don't think he had been great up to this point in pass protection but he was on point on saturday yeah and he's their most dynamic runner uh i see him the final six games of the season getting uh, the lion's share of the, of the carries um we'll see what javante barnes health situation is moving forward um i think walker is their best option now let's talk about that for a second you've got one receiver that used to be a walk-on Another receiver that used to be a walk-on. You've got a running back that's a walk-on. Um, some people would pounce on that and say Oklahoma doesn't really have talented skill position players. Whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I just I, say Texas seemed to really struggle with Jaleel Farouk, and Texas is a good defense, a really athletic defense, and Andrew Anthony was key. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Yeah, wide receiver. I'm going to give those guys an A just for the simple fact that we didn't expect anything of them. They came in they were shuffling their feet and they had flip-flops on. They were sitting in the back of the class and we were like, who are these guys? They've been the best students on the, on the field so far, except for maybe Gabriel. Yeah. I I'm going to give them an a plus. Uh, Cause I, I think it's not just been that um, we didn't expect a ton out of them, but you got breakout first half of the year from Andrew Anthony. You got breakout first half of the year from Nick Anderson. Jaden Gibson's playing with a different kind of confidence on top of 
it felt like they were holding Farouk up until the Texas game. We'd heard Emmett yeah. Jones describe him as a Percy Harvin type guy where they can move him all over the field. You finally saw that. So I think that Farouk's lack of production, if you're watching the podcast, you can see I'm doing the bunny ears because it's not a lack of production, but maybe lack of production compared to what you thought. It was almost tactical. They were holding them because he was really good against Cincy when that game was kind of uh, hanging in the balance. He he had the juke against SMU, and then when they really wanted to unwrap him, he had a career day against Texas. So I, I, for me, A+, plus because they have depth there as well. That, Like we said, we don't think it's going to be the end-all, be-all of the passing game, even though Andrew Anthony's going to mm-hmm. be a while. Yeah. Uh, tight ends. I'm going to go with a C just because they haven't really done anything to stand out. I don't think they've scored a touchdown yet. Wait, Blake Smith scored a touchdown. Um, they scored. Yeah. They scored like 40 touchdowns in the first three games. So, uh, everybody scores at some point, but you, you see what I'm saying? They haven't really been integral parts of moving the football. Um, you've seen, I think with some consistency, you've seen Austin Stogner snap count be pretty high. He's up in the sixties and seventies, the last three games. So he's playing well enough to earn those snaps. He's just not doing, not being dynamic. I uh, did catch a season high three passes the other day against Texas. So maybe that's changing. Maybe the off the tight ends are starting to uh, become more of a part of the passing game. We'll see. Yeah. I, I would probably go C minus just because I think that they've been, I think Stogner specifically has been a really like positive in the blocking game and what he's done there. Um, some of the stuff he's doing downfield as well. Um, just not a ton of consistent product. You haven't seen one of those guys become like a, a third down safety blanket for Dylan Gabriel, which Stogner was that for Spencer Rattler. Um, yeah. Even in 2020, like especially in 2020 uh, before he had gotten injured and there's just no like depth there. Like I would not feel comfortable with Oklahoma having anyone but Stogner on the field right now. Right. Uh, and so because there's not a ton of depth behind Stogner and then he's, he's just getting a handful of catches. I'd, I'd go C minus, but it, if they had some depth, I think that would have some, it's not been good by any means, like great elite, what you need at Oklahoma, but it, it's, it's fine. Offensive line. I, I'm a little, you, you know, you're grading five guys and not just that, but you're grading depth and how backups play and stuff like that. Um, I'm going to go B minus here. I think the starting five has been pretty good. Needs to be better in the, uh, in the run game for sure. Needs to be more precise. Andrew Rame said it. We're just not blocking the right guys at times. Uh, he said, uh, it's not that we're getting overwhelmed physically. It's just that we're going the, we're, we're going to the wrong guy. Okay. Clean that up. And this B minus becomes an A because the offensive line has been good and the depth has been good. You roll Troy Everett in there when Savion Bird struggles, he held his own. He was fine. Uh, you roll Caden Green in there when Troy Everett struggles, he was fine. I watched uh, Caleb Schaefer a couple of times uh, on that final drive and the drive before, he was fine. There were guys, they were running stunts and twists at him and he's like passing one off and picking up the other one. It's like, wow, that's some, that's some high level intelligent stuff. So just uh, overall, Guyton, um, the, the thing the thing I would complain about for the offensive line is too many penalties. I think OU's 90th or 95th in the country in penalties, and the offensive line has been guilty of quite a few of those, whether it's Walter Rouse false starting or holding, Tyler Guyton false starting or being down the field a little bit too far. Um, the offensive line has contributed to the uh, the kind of broken drives because of those penalties. 
Yeah, I, I think, like, when you think to a position group, it feels like the offensive line has been the biggest penalty position group um, just on the team consistently week to week. I totally agree with everything you said. I kind of looked at it a different way uh, to get to my offensive line grade. I looked at it of what are you doing in pass pro, what are you doing in the run game. I, in the run game, kind of split the blame between the running backs and offensive line kind of equally because it's felt like, okay, when the running back hits the hole really hard, it's just not there. It's not very big. When the hole opens up, we see a guy trip, stuff like that. So I, I would just give the O-line and the running backs both a C in the running game. I think they've been A-plus in pass protection. I mean, Texas touched Dylan Gabriel behind the line of scrimmage twice, and one of them was a scramble. Um, other than that, really the only sacks they've given up have been like Cincinnati brought two guys through the same gap, and I'm, I'm not sure that the running back picked it up. Uh, stuff like that, I don't really put that on – I think they've been so good at giving Dylan Gabriel all the time in the world. So I'm just going to average that out to a B plus for the offensive line as a whole. Very good. Uh, defensive line. I can't think of anything, maybe a straight A. Uh, I'll give him an A minus just because of the lack of quarterback sacks. I remember talking to Miguel Chavis in the preseason down there at the field in August. And uh, I asked him specifically, um, how do Ethan Downs and Reggie Grimes be more productive for you? How do you get those guys to play better? And he said, all they got to do is turn around and look at who's behind them. Did you know Reggie Grimes got zero snaps against Texas? Reggie Grimes, who started every game last year, got zero snaps against Texas. That's how much Oklahoma has upgraded their defensive line. Those guys were phenomenal against Texas, getting pressure, uh, five quarterback sacks, tackles for loss, moving the line of scrimmage against that Texas offensive line that we all said was, wow, those guys are good. Kelvin Banks and all those guys are amazing. Uh, got a bunch of future pros out there. Oklahoma took them to the woodshed up front, reestablished the, the line of scrimmage on a, a fairly consistent basis, with the exception of the running game getting Jonathan Brooks into space and throwing down the field to to the receivers. We'll talk about the defensive backs here in a minute, but defensive line, A-. minus. Yeah, I uh, mostly agree. I'd go B-plus just because they've been really good, like 90% of the time in the run game as well, but there have been a couple of times where they've been gashed on individual plays, Cincinnati and Texas. I think Brooks got into a good rhythm in the second half. So I'm going to split some of that between both the guys up front and the run fits behind them that at, at times have looked just – a pinch off uh, with the linebackers, but it's been a massive improvement, massive, massive improvement. If, if they, they just hit home a little more like that, Brent Vibbles didn't have to bring a ton of exotic blitzes or anything like that against Texas. Cause I think pretty early on, he recognized our four guys up front are winning. So I think that's big time. I know that they've been, had to deal with a lot of max protect, but I'm just going to go B plus. I think that there's still growth potential out of that group uh, throughout the rest of the season. And like with Gabriel, I don't know how much better he could play with the receivers as long as they don't. It's a midseason grade, so the Anthony injury could dip. You know what I mean? But uh, through six games, it's been everything you could have wanted out of them. I still think there's a little bit more growth potential out of the D line as as R. Mason Thomas gets back into a bigger groove, yep. more snaps for PJ Adobore, and yep. and as they just get more comfortable doing this for, I mean, Rondell Bothroyd and Trace Ford and Jacob Lacey have played six games in Oklahoma. Like there, there's always stuff they can improve on only playing six games in the Venables defense. Yeah, you're right. Um, okay. 
uh, linebackers. Uh, I got no complaints with the linebackers only uh, against Texas, Jonathan Brooks in particular, uh, a couple of times with some receivers uh, underneath. And, and a couple of times guys looked a little bit lost in coverage. Just is that my tight end or yours kind of, kind of question mark? The rest of the season, tackle numbers have been high. They've been efficient. You look at their pro football focus grades, they're, they're efficient with what they do. I'm going to give the linebackers, and, and I, I kind of – where do we put Desan McCulloch, Justin Harrington? Do we put him linebacker or do we put him defensive back? Rope him with the linebackers and call We'll put him with the linebackers, and I'll say – I'll say it's a it's an A minus for this group. You've got Danny Stutzman who's playing at it literally an All American level. You got Jaron Canick who's playing a, a for linebacker for the first time in his career, and he's not hurting the team whatsoever. He's making plays. His his effort and his uh, ability to get to football get to the football from anywhere on the field is phenomenal. And then Desan McCulloch and Justin Harrington early on in the season at least. You saw guys who were attacking things with confidence, even though it's such a complicated and multifaceted position, those guys are attacking it with confidence. And and I think it's never been more prevalent, the confidence that those guys play with, than the goal line stand against Texas when Desan McCulloch is hitting 300-pounders in the backfield and knocking them back so other guys can make the tackles. Phenomenal series. Yeah, I, I think... I think there's growth potential here. There have been a couple of times that we've noted in Cincinnati and Texas where it almost feels like Canick is so fast that he over pursues the run or yep. like just a little hair stuff like that. But when you think about Stutzman, who's if we were just great individual players, A plus 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 all all the flowers. Um, and then McCullough, who, who came in and he was thrown into conference play after playing essentially a quarter of football in Britt Mobile's yep. defense, and he's been great outside of the the screen and go little look that was thrown at him uh, in Cincinnati. Kip Lewis, every time he plays, he's incredible. Kobe McKenzie, the level doesn't drop. A for me, for the linebackers, considering where they were last year, they could only play three guys. The growth that Stutzman has made, the depth that they have, I think they can get plenty better, but through six games, for guys that have not played linebacker before, not played in this defense, I'll take an A on that and call it a day. Uh, Oklahoma missed a season-high 16 tackles on Saturday against Texas. Uh, Reggie Pearson missed three. Key Lawrence missed three. Billy Bowman missed four. But Danny Stutzman missed two, and nobody else missed more than one. So I think that's uh, that's a reflection of uh, how this team is uh, playing quality defense. And, again, you look at the PFF grades, and it's just they're, they've been so much better than last year. Uh, it's hard to give them anything but an A. Uh, defensive backs, we'll ro- we'll rope the safeties in the corners all together. Defensive backs, Ryan, I'm going to say B minus because of some of those numbers I just read, the high high missed tackle counts and uh, receivers, specifically against Texas. Maybe that's just because it's most fresh on my mind. But receivers, somewhat occasionally, we hadn't seen it much before Saturday, but Saturday we saw it with some regularity. Receivers running wide open, so. You get a you get a little dash on there. It's not a straight B. It's a B minus for me. Yeah, I I think B minus is the right territory. I'm gonna upgrade them to the B, just the straight B because of what they're doing takeaway wise and because of 
There were a couple of missed tackles on the very, very back end, but Gentry Williams, Kenai Walker, and Woody Washington have been so consistently good at shedding blocks like we talked about and tackling behind the line of scrimmage that teams aren't really able to throw swing passes, bubble screens, whatever, behind the line, which has really simplified, I think, kind of how they get attacked and allowed Brent Venables to, to shore up some stuff. So I'll give them a B because – there, there have been some miscommunications. Look at Iowa State. Uh, a couple of those fourth down plays against Texas. There have been missed tackles against Texas. But for the most part, and the way that they're picking the ball off right now, it, it's almost like a, like you go back again to that Iowa State. If Key Lawrence just is confident in his pro recognition and is aggressive and picks that ball off or makes the play on the ball instead of just ducking out, then that's one less you know coverage bust uh, against him, all that stuff. So, I think they played pretty well, uh, a B, um, and I really feel like could be, you know, Billy Bowman coming on strong. If they And if they could just get Gentry from start to finish through a whole game, I think that would help them out a ton. You know what? I'm that I'm that surly professor who's always done things one way, and this is – it's my way of the highway kind of thing. I'm going to change my grade. OU leads the nation in interceptions. I'm going to give him a B plus. I'm going to go for him a B minus. I'm going to give him that extra bonus, that 50 point bonus at the end of this or the midterm semester. I'm going to say you guys have earned a B plus. How about that? Is that fair? Lead the nation in interceptions. Are you kidding me? It's big. Come time. on, Hoover. Come on, Professor Hoover. Have a heart. It's big time. It's big time. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, on Rate My Professor, everyone just noted forever that you will change grades. So you're going to get inundated with that for like the rest of your career. <laughs> All right. I hate to be that guy, but it is what it is. It is what it is. All right, special teams. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, we'll group them all together. We'll group punting, place kicking, coverage, returns. We'll group it all together. Best I can do here is a C- minus because the kicks stand out so much. The, the, here's the real question. How much is two punt blocks worth? Yeah. Because the coverage, the kick coverage on both punts and kickoffs has been good. They've gotten two punts, blocked. End of good talk about the special teams. Um, when Elzinga's out there and they're punting closer to like the 40, it's been good. Plaster has had a handful of okay kicks, but that's been an adventure. He can't boom it with any consistency. Yeah, Shanking is bad. Shanking is bad. They've gotten, uh, they had a punt return or a kickoff return, excuse me, penalty that cost them a ton of field position. After Texas got that taunting penalty and then OU, if OU just fair caught the ball, they would have had the ball like the 35 and instead they took over at the 15. That was a disaster. Freeman has the punt return touchdown, but the punt return is just, it's been fine since then, since game one, not really a negative or anything like that. And I'm sure the listeners of this podcast are very tired of me yelling about the kicking because I did it all off season long. Mm-hmm. Do you see why I yelled about the kicking game all off season long? I, yep. it, if Oklahoma didn't score a touchdown that last drive, did anyone have faith for Schmidt to go out there and kick a 25 yarder to send it to overtime? They needed to tamper for a kicker. They need to give Gavin Marshall a chance in the game to see what he can do. Whatever's happening there. Kicking's going to cost them a game. If they can't figure out something between yeah. them, you, you can't have default like, misfiring punting and field goal like that's one whole area of the game where it's a miracle that they've been so good in the hidden yardage special teams so far because it's just it's bad 
one of the chip shot field goals, I don't know if, again, go back and watch the TV copy. One of the chip shot field goals was like sideways spinning and, and almost hit the upright. It went through. It's three points, but it was not a clean look. It's like, uh, who's the, who's the, is it Nicholas Batum that's got the jacked up three point shot? And you're like, oh God. And it went in. It's like, Oof, how did that go in? Uh, it's kind of that way when Schmidt kicks it. it. It's, it's a little bit of a guessing game. And he's just not, he's not approaching his kicks with confidence. He's not getting a clean strike on the ball. You know how the ball, perfect rotation, uh, he's not getting that. And it's not, there's some kind of contact that's off. There's something in his steps. There's something in his approach. There's something in his vision or something that's just off. C minus is all I got. And we, we've already noted in game one, I didn't think that it was on Schmidt as much as the holder. They already had to switch holders. Like, yep. 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 Um, and it, Plaster saved them one time with a bad, bad snap. He got it up and got it down there and, and uh, they got that away. That's what I'm saying is things are happening that are just like off and guys are getting it through the upright. Anyway, that looks like you said, at some point it's going to get them beat. And, and so they got to clean that. So what, whatever the punt blocks and the punt return touchdown is worth, if that gets you to a C minus, great. But you're, you're talking about individual plays. And to Rivendell's credit, the punt return, punt blocks, that was not happening the four, five, six years before that. So they are big moments. Uh, but I, I just am not sure that they're being outweighed by the consistent negative that Oklahoma's getting. I, Frankly, who I know that they brought in Elzinga to be the coffin corner guy. We don't get to see practice, right? I could Elzinga's leg on a on a normal punt where you're trying to pin him deep be that much worse than plaster? Where hey, if he's only getting forty yards, but you just know I'm gonna get forty yards. Like, I, at what point is that more valuable than whatever the adventure we go on every time plaster steps out there? Yeah, Jay Nunez group's got to step up. You don't want special. You don't want to lose a game because of special teams. You don't want. You want to at worst draw even on special teams. You don't want to come up behind uh, on special teams because that will get you beat. Ask Lincoln Riley in Stillwater. Am I right? Yeah. Yes. I'm right. I'll do like Brent Venables. I'm right. <laughs> Who knows? Good stuff, Ryan. I'm right. as always, man. Thanks. Absolutely. I'll be out at the first edition of OU Softball's Battle Series Wednesday night. Last week, it got scrapped for weather. I have just full transparency, no idea what the situation is going to be as far as setup of who's playing on what team. I don't know if we'll have an availability after with, with Patty Gasso or any players. I I have no idea. We don't have a lot of information coming to this. They don't have a softball SID in place right now, which I think has a lot to do with it, which is just a hiring thing. It is what it is. It's not like a positive or negative. So I, I can't promise any, like I'll be writing something and whatever I get, it will be up on all sooners.com this evening. If we have interviews and stuff, obviously all those videos will be up there, but for all you softball heads out there, that's, that's getting going tonight. So if nothing else, I'll give my review of what they look like in, in uh, scrimmage number one at, at Rita Hines. I think you probably have men's basketball media day coming up pretty soon too. So Somewhere in there. Yeah, I think uh, could be next week. We'll see. Sounds, sounds like maybe I, I hate to put this out. I think two weeks from now, right now, is the Kansas week is, is the potentially what's being eyed. There's a lot of details we hear mm. it out, but we'll have we'll have basketball media day at some point. Uh, all right. But we know what the people want. They want all softball.com. 
allsoftball.com. Good stuff, Ryan. Appreciate it, man. See ya. This segment of the All Sooners podcast was presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. Go to InfiniteAssetAdvisors.com to learn how you can get debt-free and begin your real retirement planning right now. Listen, don't wait. Whether it's retirement, private banking, family asset protection, estate planning, living trusts, let Corey and his team take a look at your portfolio and get you on the way to taking control of your financial future. Just call 512-710-0130 or email team at infiniteassetadvisors.com or just head over to their website, infiniteassetadvisors.com. Coming up next, Randall's going to join us, talk a little recruiting and finish our talk or we'll wrap up the Red River Rivalry. That's all next on the All Sooners Podcast. All right, final segment of the All Sooners Podcast. Remember, if you like the podcast, give us a nice rating. Five-star ratings help. Uh, If you like us on social media, go ahead and share us. And if you're watching on YouTube, mash that subscribe button down below. Uh, Leave us a comment as well. Uh, We love our YouTubers. So many smart comments on YouTube and so many dumb ones too, but you guys know who you are. All right, um, we bring in Randall to talk recruiting. Randall, I'm going to start with this. This is the fun part. Brent Venables on Monday night after practice got a question about recruiting. It's going to be a busy week for you recruiting, Brent. Now that you've got an open date, you've you started 6-0, and you beat Texas. Back half of the season's ahead of you. you got an open date, a bye week, whatever you want to call it. Brent Venables says the following. Absolutely, it's a good time to recruit. The bus ride to the airport is a good time to recruit. That was fun, having some different type conversations that's what happens. Emotions are a real part of this process. Uh, dot, dot, dot. Basically saying we're in position now. How much did 34-30 in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas affect the way, not necessarily 24s, but 25s and 26s are starting to look at Oklahoma? Well, I think it had a great effect. I mean, obviously it shows um, to these kids that are juniors, sophomores in high school that, you know, the Brent Venables – Defense, the Brent Venables. Sorry, spammerous call. The Brent Venables defense, the Brent Venables uh, head coaching experience um, is is the real deal. Uh, at least that that's what it would seem like six games through uh, the 2023 season. You know, not only is Oklahoma undefeated, you know, winning the biggest game of probably their entire season, but the defense, the team itself, has looked really night and day different from last year. Um, and I think that. Uh, the culture that Brent Venables has built, obviously, they, um, you know, you we saw the video. They're having fun doing this. Uh, the team is really um, close, and by close, I mean tight knit, not close in the Lincoln Riley sense of the word. Um, and so, I think that that, uh, you know, I think I would put it like this: when you watch that video that uh, OU football put out yesterday, you know, I think seven and a half minutes of their, you know, cinematic recap of them playing against Texas, beating Texas. You know, everyone's putting on the golden hat. They're all partying in the locker room. You've got Danny Stutzman giving, you know, legendary pregame speeches. That that video is like that. Recruits see that and they say, I want to play for that team. Not not just like, I want to play for OU. I want to play with Dylan Gabriel. I want to play with Jaleel Farouk. I want to play with Danny Stutzman. I want to play for Brent Venables on this staff, this media team. I think that, um, you know, the win does a lot more than just shows that OU is the better team on that given Saturday. I think it shows that the defense, the team itself is heading in the right direction, which 
last year, after last year, you couldn't necessarily, you know, point to any solid evidence from last season that would make you say, yes, this team is absolutely headed in the right direction. But now, now you have that big signature win for Brent Venables and he can say, Oklahoma's here. I'm here. This is what we're all about. And I think that's going to carry over really, really well with 2025 kids, 2026 kids, obviously down the line. And we know Oklahoma and Texas are recruiting a lot of the same prospects. So getting a win over Texas, even if that one game may not sway a prospect's mind, it's going to stick in in their view, especially given what OU rebounded from last year in the Red River rivalry. And I mean, we've already, sorry, sorry, who? Well, yeah, I was going to say, um, 20, it, it's not like it doesn't affect the 24s. There's some 24s that are going to be making their decision really soon. And when you see, if you're a 24 and you're leaning toward Oklahoma, you're thinking strongly about Oklahoma. Maybe you're even silently committed to Oklahoma, but you just don't have put it out there. And you see that game Saturday and you see the reaction and you see Danny Stutzman today showing off his uh, Longhorn tattoo today like five minutes ago on the pat mcafee show right and you see the reaction nationwide you see stephen a smith talking about ou football and you see colin cowherd coming around and saying hey ou football uh, you know maybe that i think that does something to you as a recruit and um just tomorrow okay i love this 8 a.m tomorrow morning that's 2 p.m british standard time apparently Daniel Akinkunmi, offensive guard, uh, offensive lineman from England, from NFL Europe, basically, right? The NFL Academy in Europe. He's announcing tomorrow. Uh, Michael Boganowski, defensive back from Junction City, Kansas, October 19th, so next Thursday. These are guys that are, like, watching OU Texas, right? And they're saying, huh, yeah, okay, I, maybe I'm, maybe that is who I want to play for. Maybe I am affirmed. Maybe I'm kind of weighing it back and forth. And then I watch that game and I'm like, yep, that's it. That's, that's the decider. The 2023 game can have an effect on the 2024 class. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. And I mean, if you look at, you know, think about Boganowski and Akinkunmi, the guys you mentioned, Akinkunmi has been to one OU game and that was against Arkansas state. Right. So obviously he got to see a great showing, but you know, the, what we heard about OU leading up to this Texas game, oh, they haven't played anyone. They haven't played anyone. Like you said, getting to see when they do play someone, they pull out that win. And obviously, like you said, the national attention that that gets. I mean, for for high school kids, uh, not only seeing the magnitude of that victory, but the reaction, the national reaction, like you mentioned, that's that's huge. I mean, kids, I, I obviously I don't want to speak for everyone. A lot of high school kids, they want to play in front of a lot of people uh, and they want, you know, that's, I don't know, they want the, not... It sounds bad, they, but a lot. I mean, people in general, they want to play in the bright lights. They want all eyes on them. And what this victory did is not only were all eyes on OU, they're still talking about OU multiple days later. Yeah, they are. Um, so it sounds like we're all in kind of alignment that those two guys probably going to pick OU at this point. I'm not saying they're silently committed or they're going to stun the world or anything. Is that Would you say they're both leaning, Boganaski and Akinkunmi are both leaning toward Oklahoma? Yeah, I think that right now uh, Oklahoma is in a great spot with both of those guys. I think, um, obviously, again, like you said, no, nothing is certain in the recruiting world. But I think where things stand right now, uh, OU's got a really, really good shot to add Boganowski and Akinkunmi to that 2024 class, which would just really just strengthen that 
that group, which is already, I think, you know, six through eight range in the nation, depending on what recruiting service you look at. But, yep. you know, you add Boganowski and that's another linebacker that'll play next, that'll join James Nesta in that 2024 group. It's two athletic, talented guys. And I mean, you're going up into Kansas and you're grabbing a guy away from Kansas State, away from the Jayhawks, who are a solid team right now. And also Florida State, who, you know, may not be in his hometown. But again, that's a team that beat Oklahoma last year. That's a team that right now is ranked ahead of Oklahoma in the AP poll. Um, it's a team that seems like they're they're in a good uh, spot in their landscape, too. Uh, but for OU to go in and get Boganowski over those schools, if they're able to land a commitment from them, that would be huge in that 24 class. Seems like right now that's uh, where things are trending. There's some recruiting predictions flying in for Boganowski to OU, even from Kansas State insiders, things like that. So seems like they're in a good spot there. Like you said, that's a week from tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow itself, Akin Kunmi, I think that um, OU really likes where they sit. And I think that, um, you know, if you're if you're going to, going into your morning drive at work at 8 a.m., just maybe check check around 8.15, allsooners.com, and uh, and see see what the verdict is. I think that uh, I, I would assume that OU gets some good news tomorrow morning. Yeah, we'll have the story for you at allsooners.com. Um, OU right now, number six, team rankings and rivals, number seven, 24-7 sports, and number eight in on three. That's where they were sitting last week as well, so no change there. Uh, Eddie Pierre-Louis, sounds like he's getting some, um, I guess, momentum, some predictions, some crystal balls, whatever, however you want to uh, phrase it, whatever words you want to use. Sounds like uh, the Sooners are getting closer on him as well. That's uh, three, well, two offensive linemen, and uh, there's an outside probably possibility on a third one. But uh, let's talk about uh, Eddie Pierre-Louis. Yeah, uh, this is you know, really interesting prospect because depending on what site you look at, his rankings are, I mean, some of the most fluctuated I've seen um, from a recruit. I think certain sites have him in like the top 30 players in the country and then other sites have him like from like 250 to 300 range. So just a really wide spectrum on on Pierre-Louis, but he's a guy that Bill Biedenboe has identified as someone he wants, which usually is a good sign. Uh, Coach Biedenboe knows, uh, knows the types of guys he wants. He's usually done a good job of developing those kids. Um, and this, you know, Eddie Pierre-Louis is a huge, huge kid. I mean, I think he's 6'5", 320 pounds already. Um, but he's a great athlete. If you go to his Twitter page, you'll see videos of him running, um, you know, the big man four by one in track uh, and smoking the other big men in the in the race. Uh, really good looking athlete. Uh, someone who, if he gets into the right system, like, a you know, Jerry Schmidt, Bill Biedenboe system, could probably be a guy who uses his feet really well for someone who's as big as he is, uh, moves really well for that big. Um, if you can get him with, you know, great coaching, which, uh, which Oklahoma seems to have in that department. Um, at one point it was a guy who seemed like he was leaning really heavily towards UCF, which again, being a kid from Tampa, it makes sense. That's, you know, the hometown team, uh, UCF's had a bit of a shaky start. Oh, and three in the big 12 so far. Um, obviously OU is, Six and zero, and number five in the country, and I think that um, you know that combined with the offensive line and um, strength and conditioning coaching um, pedigree that OU has, or maybe not pedigree, um, reputation, I guess is a better word uh, that OU has. I think that those two things are really enticing to Pierre Louis, and I think that where OU may not have led at one point, I think they've got a really good shot to get in and and steal a, a commitment from it. Um, well currently a big 12 opponent conference rival yeah exactly um but you know i, I think an, another thing um that's important to note here is like you said that's 
that would be if they are able to land a commitment from Pierre Louis and Akinkunmi. That'd be two more offensive linemen in a class that already has Isaiah Autry, that has Eugene Brooks, and that has Josh Isosa. So if you're able to get five offensive linemen in that class, you feel really good about the depth that you're able to add to your team and you know maybe develop some of these guys down the road. And I also one last thing I wanted to add, I believe Pierre Louis um, goes to the same high school that Lewis Carter went to, you know, freshman linebacker for OU. So uh, the Sooners probably have a pretty good relationship well, with that staff, obviously, and uh, should should uh, should be in a good spot with Pierre-Louis right now. Josh, a Sosa just tweeted a few minutes ago after uh, Akin Kunmi, for instance, put on his Twitter, uh, 2 p.m. British Standard Time, right? Uh, it's going to be his commitment. Uh, Josh, a Sosa tweeted a photo of him, and I think, uh, I think that might – I don't know who that is with him – uh, a female person might be his mom, might be his sister. I don't know. Uh, we need to look into that, see who that is, but put a photo of him on Twitter in an OU uniform, basically saying there's only one. So I don't know if you can connect those dots. I don't know if those are dots that need to be connected, but, uh, sounds like, uh, OU is going to get, uh, at least one more offensive lineman. And then Pierre Louis. Yeah. If OU knocks central Florida down to Oh, and four, and climbs into the, they're in the top five right now, but climbs even higher in the poll. I mean, why would you go to central Florida unless you're yep. just a homebody, right? I don't know. Well, let's talk, uh, let's talk running back or no, let's talk um, top fives. we got uh, Lam- uh, Marcus James from Carl Albert, 2025 linebacker, dropped his top five yesterday. And guess who's in it? Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, James dropped his top five a couple hours ago. And. Oh, that's right. That was today. Yep. Did, right. So. Check out the story on allsooners.com. We've got yeah. that up for y'all. Um, but this is a guy, Marcus James. If you go to a Carl Albert, go if you go watch Carl Albert, there's probably three kids you'll notice right off the jump. And that's Marcus James, Xavier Robinson, and Trenay Washington. Uh, Marcus James is about 6'4, 215 right now. I mean, you can tell when you look at him that if that when that guy gets into a college weight training program, he could really put on muscle. I mean, He's, he's already pretty well-toned, uh, long arms, big frame. I mean, that's a guy that physically you look at and you know that there's probably a lot more that you could add there. Um, plays tight end and linebacker at Carl Albert, uh, an off-the-ball linebacker role for the most part from what I've seen. Um, and, you know, as a blocker at tight end, really uh, is not afraid to get after guys. I would love to see them throw him a pass at tight end. I haven't seen that quite yet. But, um, you know, the physicality he brings as a blocker at at the tight end position shows that uh, maybe that defensive side of the ball is really what's meant for him. Uh, real physical, not afraid to get after it, get his hands on guys. Um, again, great athlete. Um, and he's teammates at Carl Albert with two other OU commits, two other OU offers. Uh, this is a guy who I'm told uh, OU feels really good about where they stand with him. And I think that um, you know, while there's no commitment date set, I think that uh, OU fans should, should be on the lookout for for uh, Marcus James, because I think that a decision may be coming soon. I think that, uh, again, OU's in a good spot. The team that they're having to, to battle for um, to get Marcus James, uh, Arkansas, TCU, Texas A&M, and Utah. So, you know, two of those are future conference opponents in the SEC when you've got Arkansas and A&M. TCU and Utah are, you know, going to be Big 12 opponents next year, or opponents to each other in the Big 12 next year. Um so I think that that's an interesting group in the top five. But if you look at the success that those teams have had recently, and even this season, um, I think that OU, um, I think OU is in a good spot. And especially because this is a kid, a local kid that 
OU was sure to get on early. They didn't, this wasn't someone that we saw they waited and kind of threw a last minute scholarship offer to. I mean, even, you know, you talked about it, Josh Isosa, he just got his, his offer this summer and he's a senior. Um, so this is not someone that they waited that long on. This is someone that they identified early. You know, obviously, Brent Venables is a linebackers guy. So seems like, uh, you know, with Marcus James in a good spot, he's been to campus multiple times, uh, you know, for multiple home games this season. In addition to this summer when he was at the Brent Venables camp, uh, I saw them, you know, grabbing him, coaching him up individually, which we've talked about before that really shows that um, that's someone that they they care about, obviously, if they're taking the time to coach him up to the side, you know try to do everything they can to get him right. And I think that, um, I think that right now, again, OU's in a great spot with, uh, with Marcus James. Now, Randall, Oklahoma does have in a 2025 recruiting class does have a quarterback committed, does have three wide receivers committed, but they don't have a running back committed. That could be changing sometime soon as the guys are dropping top tens and OU is landing in these top tens and, uh, it's starting to maybe get a little competitive. What, What'd they take? Uh, t- how many running backs in the twenty-four class did Oklahoma take? Uh, basically, I'm saying I think two so so far. Two, um, two or three. Not, what I'm saying is they're not above taking multiple running backs. So, but uh, still, guys are going to want to get their commitment in sooner rather than later. Is is my my sense on this? The feeling that I'm getting. Yeah, I I think that you're absolutely right, and I think that OU's in a really good spot to kind of I don't want to say push these kids to make their commitment, um, but you know with when when you've got a bunch of other talented players that are interested, you know, you it's easy to look at these guys and say, well, hey, if if you don't take your spot soon, someone else will take that spot. Yep. And I think that in the receiver room in 2025, that'll help OU, especially because they already have three commits. Uh, you know, it'll be really easy to look at other receivers and say, hey, there's not much room left. If you want your spot, come take it now before someone else does. And I think with running back, like you said, that will quickly become the case as well. Um, two of the top running backs in the 2025 class, both recently recently released top tens with OU uh, in them. Uh, Harlem Barry was the number one running back in the 2025 class, uh, according to most services, um, from from Metairie, Louisiana. Um, dropped his top ten recently. Obviously, OU's in there. Of course, any we know any kid from Louisiana, it's going to be really hard to beat out LSU yep. uh, and some of, some of those teams from the southeast. But now that OU's in the SEC, now that they're going to be traveling to LSU. Um, you know, next season, you know, maybe in the, more in the future. We're not sure how the schedule, SEC schedule, continue to shake out. But the fact that they're in the SEC now probably gives them a better chance to land a player from Louisiana. Um, but again, uh, Harlem Berry, one of the top players in the state or in the country, uh, top 30 player in the country, number one running back in the country. Uh, that would be a huge, huge addition for OU in the 2025 class. Of course, you know, being a kid from Louisiana, they're going to have their work cut out for them. Being one of the top running backs, this kid's going to have offers from Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, all the top schools OU's going to have to battle. But DeMarco Murray, we've already seen that he's capable of bringing in these top talents. I mean, number one running back in the 2024 class is committed to OU. Uh, n- number five running back in the 2026 class committed to OU. So I don't think it's out of reach at all for DeMarco Murray, but this being a kid from the Southeast, uh, it's going to be someone that the Sooners have to work for. Now, Tory Blaylock, another top 2025 running back. Uh, he's from the Houston area. I believe he plays at Atascacita High School in the Houston area. Also released his top 10 with OU uh, in there. Now, his father, Derek Blaylock, played in the NFL for almost a decade. Uh, so this is a guy with you know that the great bloodline pedigree. 
Um, and, and he's also someone who's been to Norman multiple times. I know he's been to Norman this season. Uh, and so I think that OU's in a really good spot with him. Again, being a kid from Houston, kind of the same teams you're going to be in the mix with. I mean, the Texases, the LSUs, those are all right there in that area. And they recruit heavy at, a, I mean, everyone recruits heavily out of Houston. And so, again, OU's, it's not, <laughs> with, with the new staff, when you're recruiting players this high, highly rated, you're always going to be in a battle. Very seldom will you be able to easily lock up a guy that's this highly rated. But uh, like I said, DeMarco Murray uh, and that offensive staff, we've seen them do it recently. So there's nothing to say that uh, they're not in a good position with Barry and Blaylock. I think that um, there's a few other running backs in 2025, but I think that those two right now are the two that the Sooners have zeroed in on. And it seems like they're in a good spot with both of them. Good stuff, Randall. Thank you for uh, for being so tuned into the recruiting world. Let me ask you a question. Uh, do you want to? I'm wearing kind of long sweats right now. Do you want to reveal later on the show that you and I got matching Fletcher's tattoos, Fletcher's corny <laughs> dog tattoos? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, I think that maybe we should uh, re- reveal it on Twitter and then uh, try to dupe everyone. We'll tell them it was fake, and then next week on the podcast we show it, yeah. and then we say no, wait, it was just temporary. It's just temporary or it's real. Uh, latest from uh, Danny Stutzman. This just came across Twitter from the Pat McAfee show Twitter account. Quote, the tattoo might be real. It might be fake. They say whenever I'm taking a blank, I'm going to see it. In other words, sitting on the toilet. But I'm always staring at my phone. Danny Stutzman is kind of redefining uh, what a college football player looks and sounds like. He just kind of, I mean, you don't. he's he's got that boz kind of vibe to him mm -hmm. just in terms of i'll say anything i'll do anything uh i'm i'm a little bit i'm a little bit on edge and by the way it was cool to meet uh his dad steve uh outside of fletcher's corny dog stand by the way we didn't get our corny dogs till after the game just too much of a crowd but um I don't know. I don't know what to make of danny stutzman i i walked up and i said after the press conference was over i said danny said, I met your dad on the midway right outside the flat, the corny dog stand. And he goes, oh, yeah, and turned around and walked away. <laughs> he just totally big-timed me. Like, he's totally redefining what a college football player looks and sounds like right now. Yeah, I mean, he's he is genuinely hilarious. Uh, I think <laughs> I, I really love the way that he's able to, you know, be himself, kind of be that goofball guy off the field. And then, you know, when he's between the white lines, it's like he yeah. flips switches and he's a, a monster out there. Um, I think that that's, that's fun. I think that, you know, going back to the recruiting thing, I mean, when kids see that you're allowed to have fun, that you're allowed to be yourself and still get the job done in the program, I mean, that goes a long way. I, I, people love that. Uh, I mean, what do we hear about the Bill Belichick Patriots? That The complaints from players were that they didn't have fun. They didn't enjoy, yeah. I mean, they won, but they didn't have fun doing it. I think that uh, Brent Venables' approach at OU is different, and like you said, Danny Stutzman, hilarious. If if uh, when his when his football career is over, I surely hope that he uh, decides to take up a career in content creation because I think that we would all love to see that guy's hilarious. He is. He's hilarious. Um, also, if you know the matchers Flet- matching Fletcher's tattoos, I mean, we know we know a tattoo artist pretty well, so I we think, do. I think yeah, we, he could hook us up. Yeah, he definitely could. <laughs> Do we have to go to Orlando? You're going to Orlando next week. You're going to miss the UCF game. I know, I know. It's it's kind of, kind of ironic. Uh, Orlando and I will, or UCF and I'll be trading places. I'll be going to Orlando. They'll be coming to uh, yeah. Norman, Oklahoma. 
But hey, I'll, I'll maybe I'll, I'll get a quote on that uh, Fletcher's corn dog tattoo for for us when I'm over there. Okay. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that sounds good. Um, oh shoot, what was I going to ask you before? Oh, your uh, your OU Texas co- first time to cover experience. We we talked about it a little bit in the post game blog or the post game pod. Uh, tell us about um, maybe a, a, a an abbreviated version of your you know last couple of days. Has it settled in? Has it sunk in yet? The magnitude of what you got to witness. It it's it's slowly settling in, especially as I see all these cinematic recaps that I use posting things like yeah, that. That's it's, cool, huh? It's really cool to know, like, hey, I was I was, you know, covering that game. I got to be there in both end zones. I got to hear the UT fans screaming. I got to hear the OU fans screaming. It was it was awesome. I mean, it truly is a great environment. And being down there covering it gave me a new appreciation that I you know didn't even have as you know when I went to the game previously as a as a student. So. I um, I had a blast getting to cover that game. It feels pretty cool to get, get to tell all my family that I I was there covering uh you know one of the biggest college football games of the season. Yeah. Um, and again, Fletcher's corn dogs afterwards. How can you say no to that? Right. Uh, you, it's it's a different experience when you're down there on the field. You can actually physically feel the vibrations from yes. the fans, the yes. shotguns. You can mm-hmm. smell Bevo. You can yeah. smell the ponies. Josh used to he came back from a game with like stuff all over his shoes one time. He's like, man, those ponies were all over the place. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a game. It's a college football game. True. It's a good one. It's a good game. It's an, a fun game, but more than that, it's a spectacle. Yeah. It's it, literally a, almost like a, like a, like a, like you would push pin on your, uh, on your cork board. Like this is one of the special moments of my life. Yeah. And like I said, I'm fortunate enough to be able to cover 20 of them. Uh, going back every year and uh, and kind of recapping those and, and reliving those special memories, man. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, no doubt it was definitely a special memory for me as well. I, I, mean, I know I say that only three, four days removed, but still, I mean, I know that that's something that I, I'm not going to forget anytime soon. I mean, I didn't even mention Baker Mayfield standing right behind me while I'm shooting the game. I mean, Lana Del Rey walking around the side, uh, not the sidelines, the you know, the end zone as I'm shooting the game. I mean, Brian Bosworth, Trey Young, Kenneth Murray, all these, you know, superstar athletes, celebrities. It was it was amazing. Uh, the environment was was unbelievable. Just just what you'd expect it and hope hope it would be at a game like that. And again, the game itself, the product delivered. I mean, we got a, an instant classic, a great competition between two really, really good teams that will likely play each other again this year. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's almost a lock. The Big 12 is not very good. The top of the Big 12 is uh, Oklahoma and Texas. Simple as that. Um, and I think Brett Yormark probably regrets not going to his final OU Texas game as commissioner of the Big 12. I, Had a did, shot. Did Great you sense. see that? Did you see that um, the television statistics for this week in the Big 12? Yeah, 8.1 million. Come on. And and the rest of the conference's games combined didn't even equal what OU Texas's game did. So, yeah. I mean, did, you know, like you said, that. Uh, Brett Yormark probably regrets not going to that one. Opportunity lost. Hey, Randall, thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Hoof. Yep, and thank you guys for listening. As always, we'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast. No post-game pod, of course, since there's no game, but we'll be back next Wednesday. You can catch that pod and all of our shows at Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. 
It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, your computer. And, of course, all of our shows are posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman, for Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you guys.